Good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to be able to preach about the Ascension coming so soon after Easter. It often gets left for a few weeks because um, actually it, there were a few weeks between the time of the resurrection and the Ascension. And it's that particular time that we're going to look at this morning. And um, often we have Jesus' life, death, and resurrection put together, and we seem to forget the Ascension. And I want to suggest to you this morning that without the the ascension, we don't have the full picture. It's perhaps like watching a Shakespeare play and leaving after Act 4 and not waiting for Act 5 to come to explain what it all meant. Or for those of you who are not so highbrow, perhaps any book that you just don't read the end of. The, The ascension is inherent in all of the Gospels. It's briefly mentioned on a one-liner in Mark. But Luke, particularly, is the one who tells us about the Ascension, and he links the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, both written by him, with the um, Ascension. So his mini-series, if you like, the two are linked by the events after the resurrection leading up to Pentecost. So the first account is in Luke 24, but the one that we're going to read today um, is in Acts 1. Um, And although it's slightly different in content, we will take some ideas from Luke 24. It's mainly in the emphasis. So let's read Acts 1 together. In my former book, that's Luke's Gospel, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or, or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." So I want to invite you to join me this morning and put yourselves in the place of the disciples and particularly in that period of 40 days, what happened between the resurrection and between the ascension. And we too are his disciples, so what we hear and learn of them, we also need to take on account for ourselves. We're told that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to so many different groups of people, over four or five hundred in all. But he mainly chose to show himself to his disciples. They were the ones who'd been with him on his journey for three years. 
They were the ones who'd heard his teaching from the beginning. They were the ones who were most closely affected by his death. In fact, this was a very traumatic time for them. Judas was one of them, and he'd betrayed Jesus. Peter had denied him. Thomas had doubted, and all of them had fled at the point when they should have been standing with him. Can you imagine how they were feeling at this point? They had failed him, and they were found wanting. So what did Jesus spend his 40 days doing with his disciples? We have no record of any condemnation. Jesus did not condemn them for what had happened. Very much, he wanted to build them up and strengthen them for the work that they were going to do. These were very precious moments for the disciples. And they were very important for the ongoing of the good news. They were the ones who were going to take it out to the world. And Jesus knew that they needed time with him to overcome their emotions, to take in all that he needed to tell them. And, you know, we too need to spend time with Jesus. We've already had an emphasis this morning about being in God's presence. And uh, that's something that uh, I'm being challenged at the moment about. We have a book that we were given called Jesus Calling. And day after day, it encourages us to be in God's presence, to spend time with Jesus and to let him minister to us. It's a challenge to me personally because I like being busy and I like doing and I do want to rush away. don't know if you know the old uh, song, the old earth song, which talks about to be in your presence, to sit at your feet when your love surrounds me and makes me complete. This is my desire. Not rushing away to cherish each moment, here I would stay. Well, I have to say to you that I'm still working on that one and Jesus is still talking to me about it which is probably why he gave me it to talk about this morning. So I would say to you that we need, just as those disciples needed time, we need to have time too. If you're wanting to be a worker for God, if you're wanting to be a witness for him, then the first thing you need to do is to spend time with him, to listen to him, and to be in his presence. We know that on that first occasion, Jesus appeared to his disciples as a group. They were together in Jerusalem. And it appears that that had really become the habit for them. And that's another thing for us to take on board this morning. From the birth of the church, meeting together was a really important thing. Ours is not a go-it-alone faith. And just this week on television, I was listening to a report about a tragedy that had happened, and it was commented how people needed to come together to support each other. And this is very much true for the disciples. And it's true to us too, isn't it? As we go along in our Christian lives, we need to come together. We need to come together on a Sunday morning. We can come together in our midweek groups. We can take every opportunity of meeting together, just like those disciples. So what did Jesus do in those 40 days? Well, first of all, his resurrection from the dead had proved that he was fully God. Only God could overcome death like that. Only God could come back to life. It was the greatest comeback, is what we heard last week from Terry. He had truly risen from the dead. He didn't just appear to them once, he appeared to them several times. 
But not only that, he ate with them, he allowed them to touch him, and he was, to, he was convincing them he was also fully man. Fully God and fully man. Looking back from our point in history, it's perhaps easy to pass over the incredible fact of the resurrection. Imagine being there, knowing he had died in such a way, and then having Jesus appear to them. It was enough to make them think they were seeing things, or perhaps had had too much wine the night before. They needed to have those days with Jesus to convince him, them that he really had risen from the dead. So apart from proving who he was, truly God, truly man, he also spent time teaching them. First of all, he reminded them about everything he told them while he was with them. If you think about all of the things that we read about in the four Gospels, they're eyewitness accounts of what Jesus had done and said. So not only had they heard the wonderful Sermon on the Mount about how to live lives that were pleasing to them, they'd also, sorry, pleasing to God, they'd also seen some incredible miracles. They'd been taught many practical lessons about following Jesus, and they'd even been sent out in pairs to practice and to teach and heal in God's name. These and so many more things you can find in the Gospels if you read them. All of those things Jesus reminded them about. I think sometimes we often need to be reminded of things time and time again. But you know, they'd also been part of the, in what I would call the intimate teaching of God. That when there were just them and Jesus... And that's recorded for us in John's Gospel, particularly just uh, Gospel verses, particularly chapters 14 to 16. And in those chapters, Jesus tells them about his coming departure. He tells them about their role as witnesses, and he tells them about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, he tells them in John 14 about how he's going to prepare a place for them. John 14, 1. I'm going to be there to prepare a place for you. This is their hope. This is our hope. We have a future, eternal place with God. Now, the crucifixion and the resurrection were where that came into effect. But here with the ascension, we see Jesus being raised to a point where he could make it come true, if you like, for us. Because he'd gone there to prepare the way. He'd gone to show people this is the way and where they were going. In chapter 17, he says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's why Jesus ascended. He wanted to go and prepare a place for you and I. He wanted us to be there for a future hope. And that's what, as Christians, we have. A future hope that the death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension have brought into effect. In those chapters in John, he also warned them of the problems that they would have. He warned them that uh, there would be people who put them out of the synagogue. There were people who would even kill them and think that they were doing it in God's name. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that when it happens to you, you'll know about it and you'll be warned. That's what Jesus does. And he also told them in those chapters about 
sending his spirit. And he actually says these words in John chapter 16, unless I go away, unless I am ascended, in other words, the advocate, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If not for the ascension, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit with us today. And that makes the, Holy, the ascension really important to me. So when the Holy Spirit comes, what will he do? He will be sent in the name of the Father and in the name of Jesus. And he will teach you all things and remind you of everything. Now that must have been quite a relief to the disciples. I don't know about you, but it's very easy to forget things especially when you're being told everything at once. And, you know, we forget things too. But I, can, I know, and I'm absolutely sure, that there are times when I'm talking to someone and I will think of a verse or I'll be given a phrase to say and I think, well, where did that come from? And I know it's through God's Holy Spirit. He reminds us of things even today. So we are a part of that intimate teaching as well. That teaching that was recorded in John's Gospel is there for us, to remind us of what Jesus tells us. It's for our benefit. And in fact, in 17, John chapter 17, he addresses us as the ones who would follow on. So he's gone to prepare a place for us as Christians. We have a glorious hope. We also have to expect misunderstanding and opposition when we speak up and stand up for Jesus but we also have the wonderful gift of Holy Spirit active today. In fact, thinking about it, Jesus drip-fed them through his ministry about the meaning of his life, his death, his resurrection, and now his ascension. And now they'd witnessed it for themselves up until the resurrection. Now they'd witnessed it, he was able to take them further in his teaching. It's amazing what happens when you go through an experience. It actually adds to your understanding of what you're being told. Now, I like the idea of drip-feeding things. And G will tell you I'm very good at drip-feeding him. We've been uh, planning an extension for a long while. And I've been drip-feeding ideas into G for a long time. So when a painter came to have a look and see, it would give us um, a quote for our hall stairs and landing, the painter said, well, what about the doors? And I thought, oh, I haven't told you that bit yet, in that we were going to have new doors. So I found, and I'm sure Jesus did too, it's better to introduce things slowly and to add to them. And so he took 40 days to build up those things. Not only that, but Jesus didn't only remind them of what he'd already said, but he then taught them from the scriptures. Now, Luke has an emphasis of this. He, he sees it as really important that everything that happened in Jesus' life um, was as a response as a, um, to the Scriptures, as a fulfillment. And Jesus told the disciples, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The whole of Scripture, in other words, more, law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms actually constituted the whole of the scriptures that the um, disciples had. The whole of scripture. Now, I know people, some people today, some Christians today, who want to seem to leave the Old Testament out as if it's no longer relevant. But I would say to them, it was relevant to Jesus. He thought, thought it was relevant. 
And I would suggest to you, I just sort of bring a few things to your mind this morning from the Old Testament that we can learn. Those very words from Jesus on the cross about it is accomplished refer to God's salvation plan that come right from the very beginning of time from Genesis in the Old Testament. And the importance of the incension is that that was the end of that earthly ministry. He had come, he had completed that salvation plan. And in the Old Testament, we can trace how God deals with the person, how he deals with the chosen race, how he deals with the whole of creation. From reading the Old Testament, we have greater understanding of some doctrines, like about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the shedding of his blood. We understand it so much more when we look at Exodus and read about the angel passing over the Israelite homes when the blood was smeared on the lintels. We can learn about God's love from the book of Hosea. We can learn about his justice from Amos. And so much more. I hope I've caused you to think about some of the Old Testament passages that are really important for us and how they help us understand the New Testament, help us understand Jesus, and also help us understand our own lives. Our passage tells us that Jesus opened their minds through the Holy Spirit. He wants them to know more of God, and he wants us to know more of him too. And I know that some people find it a struggle to read the Bible. But we need to ask Jesus to, to, and the Holy Spirit to help us to actively search for ways in which we can learn more. We need to spend time not rushing away. Excuse me. So Jesus taught them He reminded them about what he'd been teaching in his ministry. He reminded them of the personal things that they'd heard. He taught them from the scriptures, and he also explained to them more about the kingdom of God. You notice that question that the disciples asked. Lord, aren't you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, that was an expectation that they had of the Messiah, that the Messiah would come and would overthrow the Romans for the Jews. So Jesus doesn't actually dismiss their question. In fact, he seems to suggest that it will happen, but not yet. What he did do was he turned their thoughts to the final triumph of God's rule on the whole earth and for all people and not just Israel. It could have been that they found their long-held views and beliefs hard to leave behind. But Jesus also realized that, in fact, it would have been very comfortable for them to just take the good news to their own, to the Jews. And Matthew 28 has um, has Jesus giving that great commission to his disciples before this point. So they already knew that the task was to go out there, but it was a big ask. And that's true for us too, that Jesus sometimes asks us for greater things, to go further. So just as it was difficult for the disciples to move out beyond their own people, so too it can be difficult for us to go further, to leave our comfort zones and to go where God wants us to go. Or perhaps we're too reluctant to give up our long-held views. 
Those are questions that only God can speak into your heads. So apart from all of this teaching, Jesus also gave them instructions for the future. He told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He tells them, first of all, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In fact, he told them to wait together in Jerusalem until what he was going to send as the Father had promised, God's Holy Spirit. Now, waiting may seem a bit tedious and negative. I tell you, I've been waiting for my extension for a long time. Some of you will know how many years that is, but I can tell you now it started, so I'm a happy bunny. So sometimes waiting can be very tedious, but if I'd just waited for the builder to turn up and hadn't thought about what I want where, what kind of things I'm going to put into my house, when they ask me, I'm going to have a trouble if I, if I haven't already thought it through, if I hadn't already trawled the, the um, internet, if I hadn't already got some ideas, then it would be very difficult for me at that time. So it's what I call an active waiting, the waiting in Jerusalem. It's not just sitting there doing nothing. They were doing more than that. They were continuing to read their scriptures, continuing to pray, continuing to worship God together. The disciples were told to wait to be clothed with power because they couldn't do the work God wanted them to do in their own strength and with their own resources. They needed the Holy Spirit power in their lives. Now, we don't have to wait for Holy Spirit power this day because the Holy Spirit is with us now. But we can have that power to fulfill whatever God asks us to do. We need to be open to him and to ask him and to receive from him. So verse 8 continues, you will be my witnesses. And I'm sure those of you who were here when Gavin Calver came fairly recently will remember him telling us that witnessing isn't a profession. We are all witnesses. We've all got something to the good news to share in our own particular way. You will be my witnesses. It's stated as a fact. So where is that witnessing? In Jerusalem. Well, that's the equivalent of our everyday lives, where we are now. In all Judea, well, that's the equivalent of our familiar. In Samaria, that's where perhaps we're meeting more hostile situations. And to the ends of the earth, that's to all people. Now, this commission is still true for us today as his disciples. It is for us to be his witnesses to wherever he sends us. Having spent the 40 days together, remembering the past, being taught, being given instructions, being told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, it came the time for Jesus to leave them. And so they went to the vicinity of Bethany to the Mount of Olives, which was a very significant place for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus blessed them. That's a wonderful phrase. Jesus blessed them. And before I came up to preach this morning, a dear friend of mine gave me a blessing, and I really appreciated that. We love to be blessed by Jesus and by God. 
It's so important. And as he was blessing them, he ascended. He was taken up into heaven, and a cloud hid him from sight. Now, with our Old Testament background, we know that a cloud is a symbolic of God's presence to have been there with the people of Israel as they traveled. So we know here that Jesus had gone into the presence of his Father. He was returning to glory from whence he'd come. In Philippians chapter 2, we have an early hymn, much like the hymns that we've been singing this morning, which tells us about Jesus' life. But it makes it very clear that he humbled himself. He came down, as one of the songs we sung this morning, came down and became a man. And when he ascended, he ascended back. He went back to his glory to receive the glory due to him as a conqueror of sin and over death. You know, I have had song going in my head while I've been preparing this. He come from the glory. He come from the glorious kingdom. And sometimes I think we forget that. We forget that Jesus came down to earth from glory. And that's where he's gone back to. He is in glory now. So at this point, only once before in his ministry had the disciples had a glimpse of his glory. That was at the transfiguration. And Luke tells that story in his writings, as do the other writers. And so as they're looking up and they're amazed by God's glory, I find it quite interesting here that it's angels who actually bring them back to reality. What are you doing looking up? This Jesus has gone from you but he's going to be coming back. No wonder we read that the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're told that they stayed continually in the temple praising God. What a sign of their progress from those disciples that we met, first of all. There's no grief here. It's just a sense of joy. And perhaps Jesus um, knew of this in John 17. He says, Now they know that everything you've given me, given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And they worshipped him. And we're compelled, like this morning, we're compelled when we have a sense of who Jesus is and of his glory to worship our Lord and King, who we believe who he is, and we accept his words for ourselves. For now, Jesus, at this point in time, is in Mark's one-liner about the ascension, seated at God's right hand, interceding for us. Now, that thrills me. And I'm sure it does you too. Expanded a bit more in Ephesians, where Paul takes it on, saying, He seated, God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and authority and power and dominion, and every name being named, not only in this world, but in the coming age. Jesus is exalted to his rightful position. So uh, for me, the ascension is really important. And we need to catch a glimpse of that glory today so that we can worship him. So the disciples themselves, they stayed in Jerusalem. They were together. 
They were waiting. They were worshipping. They were studying the scriptures until at Pentecost, they were given Holy Spirit power to be able to be God's witnesses. And what about us in the light of the ascension? We too wait together, worshipping, studying the Bible, God's word, and being his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're waiting until Jesus returns in the same way they saw him go. He will once again leave those heavenly realms and once again come to earth. The Son of Man will be coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And my answer to that would be, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.